The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners today. We are getting ready to start a new year, but we will be continuing with our Identity Matters under the category of finances. And today's particular message is number 62, and it is Direction of Money Part 2. And the passage we just read out of Psalms 37, uh, the first seven verses, there is a clear statement given to us here that we are not to be concerned over these evildoers. So all of the little prophetic things I wanted you to think about, pray about, be ready to stand to give the true word of God in situations this next year that I believe, and this is Steve Finney speaking, not the Lord, I do believe that 2015 is going to be the year that God is going to call out those who are ashamed of the gospel, who are truly indwelt believers. They are afraid to speak out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That has to happen before the final opening of these seals can take place. The remnant of the indwelling believers in Christ must wake up first. We must take the mission of encouraging other indwelt believers to wake up. Much is given, much is required. There's a very special requirement given to churches like ours who truly believe in the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. We not only believe in following Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus Christ lives in us to do his own following of his Father. You with me? There's a select, tiny group of believers gathering together on Sundays or Saturdays or Wednesdays or whenever it is that their gatherings get together who truly want to advance the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. We are on first base. We have to carry this forward to encourage other indwelt Christians who are tampering with the emergent Christian world and pull them away from that and have them focus on the indwelling life of Jesus. I had a dream last night. I was rejected from, I don't know how many churches it was in my dream, but it was, it was a lot. I was invited to the church to speak, and then once I started opening my mouth, they asked me to step down from the pulpit. Church after church after church after church after church, and then I wake up. I'm like, thank God it was a dream. <laughs> it was one of those dreams that's kind of like, oh, my bedroom. <laughs> but I think God was warning me something. That this is the day of the churches. And I hope you get what I'm saying. Not of the end of all believer. The churches. The independence of the churches. And true communicators of the, of the true gospel are going to be asked to step down and leave. Get out of our town. We don't want you here. 
because they're going to be so agitated by crisp black and white preaching. Because they're so used to fluff. How many of us like to eat that whipped cream off of our coffee or desserts first? That's where the church is stuck. Instead of partaking of the real deal. So let's talk about that when it, when it comes to, since the love of money is the root, the root of all evil, let's talk about that a little bit. So our opening paragraph says this. Throughout biblical history, God has used the lack of provisions, money, to guide and direct his people in his given pathway. Now, now I don't want us to make this too complicated. Ian comes to his dad and he goes, Dad, could I have five bucks because I, you know, want to buy a new comic book or, you know, whatever it is that the desire of his heart. Now his father could look at him and say, Son, that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ and him crucified. What in the world do you want that for? Well, I just, you know, I like, I like that comic book and I just, you know, now, purchasing the comic book is not necessarily bad, right? He could hand him the five bucks. Did you know comic books are $2.35 now? We paid like 10 cents for those things. It's just outrageous. Some are even more expensive. Yeah. Now, here's the principle. The father can choose the primary principle over a secondary principle. The secondary principle is warring over whether he should read a comic book. The primary principle could be, you know, if he really had to work to buy this comic book, he may think twice about spending his hard-earned money on such an item. It may work the first time he does it, or it may work the hundredth time that the father does it with the boy. That's the principle. And that's what God does with us. He, he, he's not necessarily interested in saying no to us on an item, but he may be interested in holding back in order to guide and direct that young man to a more or a higher principle of finances that the father wants him to learn. So he could say to Ian, well, we'll discuss whether you should purchase a comic book after you earn the money to purchase the comic book. So if I was him, I would literally give him work that was worth $50, but only pay him $1.35. So he's having to war with this while he's raking the leaves for a whole afternoon. For a dollar thirty-five, and then his father pays him a dollar thirty-five and says, "Okay, now let's let's talk about whether you want to use that that blood, sweat, and tears of raking up all those leaves to purchase a comic book." And if Ian says, "No, I don't think I want to," Shannon pays him fifty bucks. That's how God survives in his miraculous plan of economy. He doesn't 
tantalize us with a reward. He surprises us with it when we catch the principle. And that's what's being said here. There are times he uses the abundance of provision or the lack of it to confirm his direction for our lives. A classic example of this is is the purchase of a car, but not having the funds saved to purchase it. For godly stewards, can uh, we can safely see that until God provides the funding, it is not his will for us to buy the car. For each of us who have fallen into the poor steward mentality, we see, we want, we pray, and we go into debt to get it. How many times have you heard someone that you love very dearly say, the Lord led me to this car? It's a $47,000 car. And they go into debt. And God even got us approved in the loan. The, every one of these statements are going against the Bible. And who do they give the credit for? God. They're turning God into Satan. That's what they're doing. Satan is a God of debt. God is a God of freedom. Everything he did through Christ is the opposite of debt. It's to set us free. It's to forgive us of our debts so that we may forgive others. All those verses are connected to finances. So when we, we, we want, we pray, and we go to the car lot, and we see the, the $50,000 vehicle, and we got approved in our loan because we've been good stewards this past couple years, and we got approved for the loan, and we drive this $50,000 car off the lot, which is actually how much? Probably $75,000. $75,000. Who's going to get that extra $25,000? And the bank's connected to what? Global banks. It's really a short walk in the park. Anytime you're paying off interest, to a global system, you have to ask the question, who's got their hand in the pot of the global system? But no, we don't want to think like that because it's going to ruin our day. I won't get my SUV. Then there are the more conservative type to say, well, we'll just pay this off real quick. You see, buying a car on credit is not necessarily wrong. It's what you do with the debt of that house, of that car. Are you working to beat the international system? And that takes more discussion than most Christians are willing to sit down and have. Because they already got their eyes on the car. You see what I mean? They got to get it now because, you know, the guy at the lot's saying this thing's going to go fast. Really? How many new cars are out there waiting to be bought? So, this whole thing about talking, getting counsel, and getting, you know, that, that's where God plays his miracles. And that is the key to freedom for all of us. 
So what would you say is the primary purpose of money? Just look at money as a whole. What is the primary purpose? So, why, why do we need it? Okay, there is one of the communities of the seven churches that started currency. And so I'm not going to, you know, give it away because I really do want you guys to, you can go buy it right now and become one of the reviewing readers, which I would encourage you to do. Uh, you can actually help me do the final edit that way, but... There's quite a bit said in here about one of the communities where one of the seven churches is that started currency and why they started currency and how they pressured the church to be a part of this currency. And we did join them. And so once you're part of the currency, it's the face on the currency who decides what they want you to do. The reason why that we need money is because there was a world system put together render to Caesar what is Caesar's it does not say render to God what is God's that should be a given to all indwell believers so the 9010 thing had to be put in order to remind us of that it should be a given that the 90% belongs to God you say, no, I thought the 10% belongs to God. No, the 10% is what's supposed to be used to advance the church. Do you understand that? It's not just thrown into the air and we hope God catches it. The 10% is to advance the church. And Jesus himself had a, a purse holder. Because it takes money because of the system that's in place. But Jesus said it's Caesar's. He didn't call that little purse bag gods because there is no currency in heaven. There is no currency in heaven. If someone is in need in heaven, which there won't be, because the giving system in heaven will be perfect. Everything you will do will be for somebody else. And if everyone did that, there's no need for a currency. So Satan figured this out real quick through his world leaders, and develop this currency issue. The biggest political fighting, and you can read the, the news today, the biggest fighting that's going on in the world is picking this new currency. Do we go with the euro dollar? Do we go with, well, it used to be 
Do we go with the American dollar? That's a joke. So that's what they're warring over. They need a world currency. You need currency in order to control the economy. You need control of the economy to control religion. You see, one of my buddies got a bill. He attends a Catholic church. Well, he did. He got a bill from the church of what he owed the past two years in his tithe because the church had been tracking his tax reports. And he found out it was totally legal for the Catholic Church to do that. And he got a bill. That's the direction we're going. But see that what they're not telling you is that the church is going to get a bill from the government. And that's in discussion today. How do we tax the church? Because people are hiding or whitewashing money within the church. The only way to do that is to get the one world church part of the one world government. Do you see the short walk this is? It's a very short walk. It's not conspiratorial at all. Confirming direction. Let's say that we do have the funds set aside to make the purchase. Is it God's will just because we have the funds set aside? I have $50,000 sitting there in my savings account. And I'm seeing my SUV. Having equals a yes from God? What would you say? No. It's what are you supposed to spend your money on? Do you understand that, and I can't remember, I do so much uh, research that, and I don't write a lot of who said what and why they did it and why they did the survey, but one of the things I was reading, I was reading about something else and this popped up as an example. If you took just the money in America that people spend on chewing gum, now, you can find online how much Wrigley's gets per year. Those are public records, as most corporations, of course. Chewing gum, that's one company, not all of them. If you took just the money that people use in, in buying chewing gum, we would not have poverty in America. Chewing gum. Well, I go, okay, let's take chewing gum, let's take beer, let's take, and just start going down the list. Yeah, of things that really just aren't necessary. Do you see, you would see heaven almost overnight? You would see how heaven functions overnight. Because see, those things won't be in heaven. They will not be perceived needs. So the system of God's miraculous plan of economy will perfectly fit because those are non-issues. Satan knows this. He doesn't care if it's chewing gum or chewing tobacco. He doesn't care. He just wants his system to work. And it does work. 
So therefore, you have churches begging for the dollar. You have ministries begging for your dollar so that they can get to the next month. And what's happening is people going, la, 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 la. They're getting tired of it. Because they're begging for the crumbs off of Satan's table. And that is not the way the church is designed. The church should be wealthy. Not prosperity doctrine wealthy, just wealthy. So wealthy, Satan becomes intimidated where he does what it says in the book of Revelation. There shall come a day when they will not be able to... It's a trinity. Buy, sell, or trade. Why does he shut the Christians down, buying, selling, trading? Because we are wealthy. In the end, we're going to figure it out. We're going to go, wow, if we took every Christian dollar to advance the gospel, wow, we'd be wealthy. And we are going to figure it out. And it's going to freak Satan out. So he changes the system. You've got to get the mark in order to be a part of the world currency. That's how it happens. Short walk in the park. Satan is so easy to figure out. You almost have to be stupid to do it. And if you think that, 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 that quote through, that will make perfect sense to you. That's how stupid Satan is. That's how simple-minded he is. And that's how intellectually stupid humans are. That we don't get his simplistic plan. And it all has to do with money. What we spend it on. One of the first symptoms of indulgent purchases I watch for myself as well as in others is that of impatience. People buy on the spot with large purchases tend to justify their indulgences. Those who carefully weigh the pros and cons walk away, pray, and then decide, show due diligence to the Lord. So, if I am impatient, that should be my first clue, right? But what really should be our first clue before impatience? I deal with it all the time. I can't tell you how bad my flesh wants a, a, a new town and country. But the more and more I choose righteousness, the more I get in our old town and country that's completely paid for, and God just seems to keep that thing running. And how often do I, when we're driving down the highway, say, I love this vehicle. It's got comfortable seats. It's been faithful to us and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It moves us into thanksgiving when we stop the war at the proper place. So when last night they take me out for, you know, a movie and and Taco Taco John's for, for supper and we're driving by the Dodge resale dealership and I see a white town and country sitting there, beautiful. And it's rushing through my flesh. And I'm, you know, 
got my hands on the wheel of my town and country paid for and I was able to make transition within seconds. Having the war is expected. What we do with the war is what God expects. So this is critical that on the spot moment is where Satan's going to do his biggest work. Do I pull in or do I not? Well, if I don't pull in, why don't I pull in? You've got to answer that question before the moment of the spot arrives. That's the key. Knowing the truth sets you free. Not being faced with it. There are people being faced with the truth around us right now. And they're blowing it off. It's knowing. Knowing is an intimate word used in the word of God. And that is the same word that is used for sexual intimacy. When you know the truth, knowing is it is a part of you. You have integrated it into your fibers of your belief system. Psalm 37, that last verse in our passage today, says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because the man who carries out wicked schemes. That's the thing that we're faced with today is, why do most people want a larger flat screen, a newer car, and the list goes on and on? It's because of what they see. Their buddy have, their neighbor. You know the term keep up with the Joneses? That's what keeps neighborhoods clean. You know, if you actually cleaned your yard up, your neighbors will start cleaning their yard up. It's a principle of humanity. Satan knows this. So he works off of that system to create debt. There's nothing wrong with looking at my neighbor's house and go, you know, I could probably paint my house, you know, a different color this year. But if I went into debt to do it, God's going to go, no, you shouldn't have. But if you had money set aside for your house repairs, you can paint your house like your neighbor and clean up your neighborhood. That's all God's watching for. Whereas Satan goes, no, I could use this to create more debt. The more debt per moment, the more debt per moment, if you take the, the $18 trillion of debt and Shannon, what happens to $18 trillion of debt when it comes to uh, the interest we have to pay on this borrowed money? That's it. It is impossible to pay that money back. The government knows it. The world knows it. Good old America is done for. Someone else can step up and say, I can pay your debt. And guess who will be indebted to forever? The one who pays the debt. Something about Hitler that was rather fascinating. They weren't sure whether a smart man showed him how to do this 
or he was classified by secular history as the most demonized leader in history. He went to his own government, actually sent one of his guys, and said, you can no longer ask for taxes from our chancellor. Happened the second year he was in reign. They were taxing the daylight out of him because you know he was becoming the wealthiest man in the entire world. And they erased him from the tax records. And he gained wealth faster than any leader in history. I mean, stealing one painting worth $16 million would pretty much wreck you financially. And this is not the government being rich. This is an individual person being rich. He understood how this worked. And it was working in a very short period of time. And then he turned around and he would say, I am so wealthy, I promise you 1,000 years of peaceful, healthy government from me. Well, he's actually saying he's going to live beyond. So some very demonic kind of things were rolling out of this man's life. See, he understood these principles and how they worked. Because he'd go in and start paying off debt. And that country would be indebted to him for many years to come. Okay, here's the five purposes of money. Building faith. God has made a commitment to clothe the grass of the field which are alive today and tossed into a pile of rubble tomorrow. Building faith. God wants us to stop, drop, pray, believe, and that's what builds our faith. Even if you know that eh, God's probably behind this, he's going to okay it. Going through that process is, number one, going to build uh, faith for the believer. Two, Lord of life. How often do we or do you and I proclaim that Jesus is Lord of our lives? But when it comes to these practical decisions, we're not demonstrating that for our children, for interested onlookers. Well, if he's Lord of life... Owner, if you go look up Lord, no matter what the dictionary is or who wrote the dictionary, you're going to find one of the definitions, owner. doesn't mean God. So when you have a landlord, it means he's the owner of the property. So when you have these lords who are in these parliaments, these governments, it means they own the territory you're, you're squatting on. And right now they're saying you have permission to own six inches of soil. And if they decide to come and take that land from you because they're going to put in a freeway, they can do it. Whether you approve to sell your property or not, they have the right to do it because you only own the top six inches of your soil. That's why it's a problem in America when they are, these Muslims are building these, these mosques because 
they have it in their Sharia law that they own the land from the the foundation of, of their of their building down to the core of the earth. Sharia law. The government can never take that land from them again. That's how Satan works with money, with debt. Uh, it's way beyond you. He'll never pay this off. You and I both know that. Cuts a check for it. America's free. You're part of the EU, the EU for the rest of, of mankind. Yes, sir. Do you realize how free you feel when someone comes and pays all your debts? You'll call that nasty guy a good guy until you die. Because he freed you. That's the technique that Satan's going to use because it's the technique God uses. Let me just pay your debt. You don't have to go to hell. Let me pay your debt. And he writes a check and makes the payment that was going to send you to hell. You with me? And you feel so free, so thankful. You shift over and being thankful, become so thankful that you devote the rest of your life to this Savior. This principle is a short walk in the park. It is not difficult to understand. You almost have to be stupid to see it. Because he is stupid. Stupid is knowing the truth, but not knowing how to walk it out. And that's Satan. He lives off of truths, but he doesn't live them himself. I can guarantee you, this man is in debt to God. Number three is protection. Have you ever noticed that no matter how much God blesses us, we want more? Having an authority figure in your life, like a dad, like a mother who is actually a representative of the father, is for protection, is it not? You take the father away from the child and they become fatherless, and what do you have? A child that grows up and says, I'll protect myself. I'll be my own leader. I don't need to have you telling me what to do. You're not my daddy. How many times have you heard a kid say that who's in a blended family? Which is most families today. The standard of family life in America is not single mother, father that are natural from birth. It's blended families. That's the standard of today. So you have children growing up going, you're not my daddy. You're not my mommy. What sets the child apart as independent. And then when these parents become aged, what do we do with them? They're not coming to my house. They are annoying. I spent my whole adult life getting myself out of their lives. You think I want them in my home? We put them in nursing homes. And since the system of nursing homes is cared for by the federal government, and we know where that has kind of gone, now we have someone else controlling whether our parents live or they die. It's called euthanasia. 
I promise you this day, this is I speaking, not the Lord, but I promise you this day that in 2015, you're going to see some major decisions made on euthanasia. On permission to give yourself to die legally. You thought that one decision in 2014 with that gal was a big deal? You've seen nothing yet. When it gets approved by federal government, and it will, because it will accomplish one of the greatest taxing uh, parts of humanity, and, and expensive, by the way, and that is our elderly. And that is something we've seen in these past leaders of these 14 empires, and it is something that is going to be set up for the final empire. And the kids, Jesus himself said, there shall come a day when children will rise up and kill their parents. If you think that means with a gun, then you don't understand prophecy. The best way to kill someone is by permission. Do you understand that? It clears your conscience. It clears the government's conscience. The best way to kill someone is legally. Make it legal. So all these babies that are being murdered every single day, all day long, day after day, is not talked about in the church anymore. Because it's legal. Just because Satan gives you permission to kill your child does not mean that God does. But that's how it works. God gives us authority for protection. Number four is building patience. Well, that's kind of common sense. So I'm going to read for you the first Peter 2.20 here. Is for what credit is there if when you sin you're harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now this is a passage actually uh, cut and pasted out of the context that's being presented there is servants be submissive to your masters. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor in the eyes of God when a man or a woman bears up when suffering unjustly. For what good is there, or what credit is there, if you... But the term credit is being used in, in the original translation. It is an advancement. It's a pay advancement. It's a credit. He's saying if you, if you want to be in debt, resist. If you want to get credit... You do what is right, even if the leader is unreasonable. So the question hits the table of how do you know you submit to this leader if they're wrong and unrighteous? You'd have to know the word of God. So in other words, if they ask you to do something against the word of God, you don't do it. That's when you resist. If the Antichrist asks you through your government to murder your child, you don't do it. If the government asks you to murder your, uh, or to pay for the murdering of other children, which is what's on our table of discussion this year for euthanasia and abortion, you don't do it. 
you do a Hobby Lobby special. Do you understand that? The owner of Hobby Lobby figured it out. You do not tell me to use my money to murder people. You're not going to do it. And how much ruckus did that create in 2014? But he won. And you think the Antichrist is going to tolerate that by all of these Christian businesses? No. The answer is no. They're going to find a way that before you are able to establish a business, you have to sign up. This is how it happened with the IRS. Before you get your first job, you have to sign, which how many of you read the small print of the IRS before you went and applied for your Social Security card? Which now you kids don't have to worry. You can't get out of the hospital unless you have one. But back in the day when we had to sign up for one, I didn't read the small print. I barely knew how to read. But in that small print, it says we have the right to make decisions for you. Really? How much is done by the Social Security number today? If you think that's just for your taxes, you are just uninformed. What is that mark on your forehead going to be? You think it's going to be 666 and some kind of fancy decoding? It's going to be your social security number. This is not complicated. But it's things that we don't want to think about because they're too scary. So the fact is you have to have knowledge in intimate knowledge of the Word of God to know when to say no to your leaders and when to say yes. Number five is true riches. In God's mind, there is a major difference between earthly riches and heavenly riches. Mankind gets caught up in the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Once this occurs, the desire for other things enter in begin to suffocate the word of God in the believer. So, from the moment I met my wife, everything was about the word of God, word of God, word of God, word of God, and actually, to be honest with you, I got pretty sick of it. She kept saying, you need to read the word more, and you need to, you know, that was her encouragement, year after year after year after year. You know, when I, when I, when I uh, was praying, okay, Lord, who, who do you want this dedicated to? I think dedicating works of the Lord to humans is a great idea. Because it reveals their testimony and impact on you. And so, for this extensive study, seven years is really not completely honest. When I met Jane, then met her mother, and her mother was giving me books from Oliver Green to, to the Jewish guy, what's his name? Charles Hoff, on and on and on, all about this prophetic stuff. So I dedicated this book to my mother-in-law, who is obviously with the Lord today, because she's the one to put the fire in my bosom to study the book of Revelation first 
Do you, do you get that? First, not the book of John. First, the book of Revelation. And I did. I started combing through those things that she was giving me and there was a fire in my bosom. Guess where I wanted to learn more? In the rest of the Bible. Yes, God actually gave us a picture of what he wrote in the final pages. So you could go back and understand page after page of all the other books in the Bible. And there was this book that came with the book she gave me, Oliver Green, on the book of Revelation. And it was a book on Daniel and Ezekiel. Because they go together. You see, studying to show thyself approved to handle accurately the word of truth is such a simple principle. So for Satan to delude, to push people away from studying the word, is to get them caught up in, one, educational affairs of mankind, and two, get them caught up in lust of the heart. You'll, you won't go to the word. So when you talk to someone about Christmas, let's take that one, for example, and you, and you say, you know, what's your beliefs on Christmas? <laughs> They're looking at you like, well, I believe we should be bold enough to say the word Christmas instead of holiday. Happy holiday. Really? Is that it? Could you want to say the word Christmas? Is that your mission? I don't like the word. And guess who put that in my bosom? Drusilla Versteg gave me a little article by Charles Hoff that actually showed the history that the term Christ Mass was pagan. It has never left me. I myself have been caught up in saying it. I myself joined the movement of, of saying Christmas versus holiday. When the passion behind me saying Mary Christ's life is because of that. That's the influence of a single person, a mother, who caught it. I know she already knows, but I would, I'd love to put this in her hands and go, Mom, you're going to love this. Because it was birthed from a mission she put inside of her son-in-law. So yeah, the Word of God is, is absolutely critical in order to understand the power that Satan has with money. It's, it's just critical. So to get people away from the Word of God is obviously very critical for him. Our last slide, which is still part of principle number five, and that is, why would God entrust heavenly riches to someone who is unfaithful with the use of unrighteous, uh, un, unrighteous wealth? So here's the deal. You know the verse that says, he who is faithful with small things. What's the rest of the verse? He will be entrusted to much. So I give to Ian this, this silly little task. And I try to choose a silly task on purpose. 
because I'm waiting for a response from this young man that I'm grooming. I don't care if they're older than me or younger than me. If I've been given a responsibility to disciple them, this is my job. So I pick a ridiculous task and I give it to this person I'm discipling. I want it so ridiculous that they don't even think about associating it with the Word of God. That's how ridiculous I want it. And I'll give it to the young man and say, go take care of this for me. See, all I'm watching for is what they do with what is given to them by a leader because God tells us do not entrust the gospel with someone who is lazy. Don't give them pearls. It's a command. It's a mandate. It's not an encouragement. Do not give swine pearls. So I don't know if Ian's a fake or not. So I give him this task. And he runs and he faithfully completes it. He brings it back and I go, wow. I give him something else. Jane and Mary's uncle worked for Kaiser Manufacturing. When he was a young man, this is exactly what his boss did, who was a billionaire of his age. Probably one of the wealthiest corporations in the nation for sure during that time. And he gave him an envelope with $300 in it and take it to the bank and blah, blah, blah. And he takes him all the way up to, I think it was like $10,000 or something like that, just to see what if he could be caught taking a few, you know, he needed to know. He, he assumed this, this young man was quality and he could move him up in the corporate ladder, but he didn't want to assume, so he set out these little things to see if he's faithful in them. Obviously, he turns out to be a man of integrity and gets advanced through the years all the way to vice president of Kaiser Manufacturing, which ultimately ended up in a battle with a couple family members that didn't go so well. But that's how it works. That's exactly what God does. It just so happens that's what Satan does too. He's a replicator. So he'll give little things to, to wannabes. And if they do well with him, he'll give him more, give him more, give him more, give him more until he's one of them. But this is how we are supposed to handle grooming these young men for the gospel. We might want them to think it's leaves to be raked, but our goal is that we want to give them the gospel to faithfully carry into the next generation. That's our goal. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.